0: Martha said to Jesus, If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. Let's jump to 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But lord Martha said the sister of the dead Martha the sister of the dead man said by this time there's a bad odor for he has been there 4 days then Jesus said did i not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of god so they took away the stone then Jesus looked up and said father i thank you that you have heard me i knew that you always hear me But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. That's the end of that reading. Carl's coming up now to uh, talk all about that.
1: Thanks, Daniel. Let, uh, let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, uh, there's so many big questions uh, in life, about life, and not least about death. Uh, And Lord, they're hard questions for us to ask often, and uh, we're mindful, Lord, of uh, those that we know who've already died. Uh, But Lord, we ask that as we look at your words to us in the Bible now, that you'd help us to understand what you have to say about life uh, and death uh, and about Jesus Christ. So Father, we ask that you'd open our hearts so that we can receive your words and understand them and believe them. And trust in you, Father. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, if you had one question that you could ask God, I don't know uh, what it would be. Uh, But maybe it would be the question that we're asking today. What happens when I die? Over the last few weeks, we've asked some other questions. Uh, Questions like, why am I here? Why is life so hard? And why doesn't God prove that he exists? But when I asked uh, my barber what question he would like to ask God uh, after thinking about it for a little bit, this was the question that he had Uh, Is is there anything after? Uh, Is there life after death? Some of the other responses that people gave when we surveyed uh, people uh, were things like Will I go to heaven when I die? Is there life after death? Uh, Or are you going to let me in? One person uh, merely observed the fact that at some funerals it's clear that people believe in heaven and hell and at other funerals it's clear that they don't. Well, what happens when we die? And if you like, I suppose, too, how can we know that? That that's what happens when we die. What we uh, want to do this morning, I suppose, is to look at what the Bible has to say about that question, what God has given us in the Bible in answer to that question. In the passage that Daniel read just before, we see Jesus dealing with the issue of death, and not dealing with the issue of death kind of as a peripheral concern, as kind of a, some kind of uh, abstract idea, but Jesus is dealing with death right in the middle of tragedy. There's these two women, Mary and Martha, and uh, their friend or brother, Lazarus, has died. Now, Jesus knew these uh, three people, uh, but so he goes to see them, uh, and the reality of death is in front uh, of their minds, of the, of the minds of Mary and Martha. Lots of other people, we're told, had come to visit them, uh, to, to comfort them, but Jesus comes to Mary and Martha with a different message, not uh, not merely you know kind of the uh, the sympathy card kind of message. I'm thinking of you, uh, you know, thinking of you and your loss. No, Jesus comes with another message. He says in verse twenty-five of John chapter eleven, "I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies." And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Jesus says he is the resurrection and the life. He doesn't just say, in fact, that he has the power of resurrection and life. So that he can kind of give resurrection and life as a gift. But he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am resurrection and life itself. It's in knowing Jesus and clinging on to him that we have resurrection and life. It's not as though Jesus is over here and he kind of throws resurrection and life over to us over, over there. But in holding on to Jesus and clinging on to Jesus, in embracing Jesus, there is resurrection and life. That's what it means when Jesus says, whoever believes in me. It's to cling on to Jesus, to hold on to him for dear life. Now those words of Jesus would be vicious and nasty words if they weren't true. Imagine that your uh, brother has died and someone comes to you, you're waiting, the funerals uh, already happened but you're still mourning the, the loss and they come to you and they say, it's all right, don't worry, I'm the resurrection and the life. Just imagine how vile and offensive that would be were it not true. But that's what Jesus says to Martha and also to Mary. I am the resurrection and the life. And to prove it, he raises Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days They're worried when Jesus says, open the tomb, they're worried that it's going to stink. But Jesus says, three words, Lazarus, come out. And out he comes. He comes back to life. Jesus proved his credentials by raising Lazarus from the dead. And if that wasn't enough to prove his credentials, uh, resurrection and life credentials, Jesus proved it again when he himself was raised from the dead. Jesus was raised from the dead after being in the tomb for three days. But with Jesus, there was no miracle worker. There was no one standing at the, uh, at the door of the tomb saying, Jesus, come out. All Jesus' disciples were hiding away in, the, in their houses because they were so afraid of the Roman authorities and the Jewish leaders. No, God raised Jesus from the dead to demonstrate that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. To demonstrate that whoever believes in him, whoever trusts in Jesus, whoever clings onto him, will live even though they die. The Apostle Paul wrote some years after Jesus' death and resurrection, that if Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead, then we should be pitied above all people, because we've believed a lie worse and worse still, uh, we've peddled a lie to others and wo- others as well. But Jesus has proved his resurrection and life credentials, and Paul had seen Jesus' resurrection and life credentials because he had met Jesus raised from the dead. Jesus has been raised from the dead. And whoever believes in him will be raised to life as well. Actually, Jesus says that whoever believes in him will never die. What does he mean by that? What does he mean by whoever believes in him will never die? Didn't Lazarus die again? A second time? Haven't lots of Christians died in the history of the world? So what does Jesus mean when he says that whoever believes in him will never die? His point is that when we know him and when we trust him, we share his life. And even though our bodies might die, we will go on living. We'll go to be with him. Other parts of the Bible give us a picture of all those who've died in Jesus being gathered around God, even now. The book of Hebrews talks about the spirits of of righteous men made perfect, gathered around the throne of God in heaven. The book of Revelation gives us a picture of the martyrs, people who've been killed for their faith, crying out from under the throne of God, how long, O Lord, until you bring justice? Whoever believes in Jesus and trusts Jesus will never die. They'll just go on living. We don't bury them. We bury their bodies. And one day Jesus will return to this earth to raise his people, to raise their bodies from the dead as well. What happens when you die? Well, if you entrust your life to Jesus... You just go on living, first with Jesus in glory and then with Jesus having been raised from the dead. So those who believe in Jesus will be raised on the last day, raised physically, but raised to what? What will that new life, that resurrected life, be like? The Old Testament uh, prophet Isaiah gives us a glimpse into the future. So if you look at the third reading on the handout, just skip the second one for the moment, but the third one, Isaiah 65, God says, "...behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever." In what I will create, for I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. He who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere youth. He who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed, They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them, or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the works of their hands. They will not toil in vain or bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer." While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. But dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountains, says the Lord. What can we learn about what that resurrection life will be like? Well, first of all, it's a perfect world. No infants who die. No one dying young. No one dying at all, in fact. They'll be like trees. That is a long, long, long time. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. It will be a world of peace, free from suffering and pain. I think all of us can understand and sense the longing for that reality. All of us have been touched by death. Know the desire for a world without suffering, without misery, a world where you won't build something and then it be taken away. Build houses for others to live in. That is, build a house which is then taken away through war and crime and injustice. It will be a perfect world, a world not like that, not like this world. But second, it will be a tangible world. It will be a physical world, a concrete world. The end goal of God's new creation plan in Jesus is not heaven. That is, it's not people kind of floating around on clouds uh, and, you know, playing harps and all that kind of stuff, uh, not that you know, not that the harp is all that bad. I was playing at the orchestra in my orchestra this week, and there was a harp there. It was just beautiful. It's just such a beautiful instrument. But heaven is not playing harps on clouds. Not to mention they're also very large. I'm not sure how you play <laughs> a orchestral harp on a cloud. But anyway, but heaven is not like that. When God says a new heavens and earth, He means universe. The heavens are is what's up there. You know, we still talk about the heavens like that. Uh, Astronomers, even scientists, talk about looking up into the heavens. And when God says, I'm creating a new heavens and new earth, he means I'm creating a, a new universe, a tangible universe, but a tangible physical universe free from decay and death. That's why Jesus rose from the dead with a real body, and he ate real food. He wasn't a kind of a wafting, floating spirit. No, he was a human being, remade, raised from the dead. I think that's a great encouragement because we often ask, what will heaven be like? And the answer is, it will be a lot like this world. Because God's plan is to make this world what it was always intended to be. What will we do? We'll build things. We'll play music. We'll discover things. Maybe we'll even go to school. I don't know. You know, go back to university and do all those things that you've never done. Study chemistry and it'll be fun for once. (laughs) I often think to myself, I've said it before, I used to be an engineer. One of my great dreams in life would be to, like, work for a Formula One team, build a Formula One car. I just think it'd be so interesting. There's so much technology that God has, uh, has given us to, to play with, to discover, to, to, to piece together uh, in ways that are creative and exciting and interesting. And that's what the new creation will be like. Like this world but without the decay and the death. An interesting, exciting, novel world. A world to be discovered and enjoyed. All those things that you've never got around to doing. I wish I'd learned the piano when I was young. You might say to yourself, well, it would be a world where you can learn piano. Do those things that God created the world uh, in, created in the world to be enjoyed. It will be a perfect world, it will be a tangible world. but the most important thing about the new creation is not that it's perfect and tangible. not even by a long way are they the best things. The most wonderful thing about the new creation is that God will be there. So look at that last reading on the handout. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. There it is again for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband.' And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. These are symbolic words. A city descends from heaven dressed as a bride. Clearly that's not meant to be taken literally. But it's a picture of something. It's a picture of a city that is a place where people live, but where people live with God. There's no sea. The sea was to uh, first century Jewish people uh, a source of chaos and uncertainty. It will be a place without that, without chaos and uncertainty. The uh, symbolism is intended to stir our imaginations. But the basic point is that what God is doing is making a new heaven and a new earth, a new universe, and the centrepiece of that new world is God. God will be there. From now on, God won't seem far away and distant, but God will be near and close. Like in the Garden of Eden, He walked. God walked with Adam and Eve. God will dwell with us. I've often wondered what that will be like. And as I think about building the Formula One car, I think to myself, I wonder if Jesus will come along and will say... Look what I've built. Is, look what I've built with these gifts and these skills that you've given me. And Jesus will say, that's wonderful. Like a like a father to a child. The centrepiece of the new creation is God we'll know God, God will be praised, we'll live for God. All that we do will be to please him. To discover more and more about him. The grand purpose of Jesus' mission in coming to earth and dying on a cross and rising from the dead, the grand purpose, was just to, it wasn't just to relieve our pain and our misery, as though Jesus is kind of a spiritual painkiller, The grand purpose of Jesus' mission was to bring us back to God. That's the purpose. Because the purpose of life is to know God and to enjoy God. What happens when we die? If we trust in Jesus, we'll be raised from the dead at the last day into a perfect, tangible world where we know God and enjoy God forever. But what happens, lastly, to those people who don't know Jesus and trust Jesus? To answer those uh, that question, we need to turn to the words that are uh, second on the handout from John chapter 5. So this is uh, before the events of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And Jesus says uh, this, he says, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth, the time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge, because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. Jesus. Uh, here says many of the same things that he says to Martha later on when he raises Lazarus from the dead. He says that those who believe in him, who take him at his word, will not be condemned but will live. But here Jesus also goes on to talk about something else. He talks about the authority that the Father has given him, God the Father has given him to judge the world. And he speaks about a day when everyone will be raised from the dead. Everyone who has ever lived in the history of the world will be raised from the dead. Some will rise to live and others will rise to be condemned. Those who rise to live are forever are those who have done good. Or as Jesus says right at the beginning of this passage, those who hear my words and believe the one who sent me. So just as Jesus said to Martha, the people who are raised to life are those who trust Jesus. Those who who rise to be condemned are those who have done evil and who have not believed in Jesus. So what makes the difference between those who are condemned and those uh, who rise to life is not how good a person they've been or how bad a person they've been, but whether they've believed Jesus, believed God about Jesus. Now, the idea of uh, the final judgment comes up a lot in the Bible. Uh, to give a couple of examples, in the Old Testament book of Daniel, it says, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, and others to shame and everlasting contempt. In the last book of the Bible, Revelation, gives the image of hell as being like a wine press where people who have rejected God are crushed uh, like grapes in a wine press. It's a terrifying and an awful picture. Uh, It's a horrifying picture. And those images and those realities are not easy for us to deal with. Most of us find them uh, confronting, I think. And in fact, in some ways, they're harder to deal with as a Christian because we believe that they're a reality. And many of us are tempted to ask how a loving God can send people to hell. That's not an easy question to answer in many ways, but I think there's a few things that we can say that help us to understand The first thing to say is that, surprisingly, the person who talks the most about hell is actually Jesus. The most about judgment that's said in the Bible is said in the ministry of Christ. Jesus brings not only the great good news about God's mercy and forgiveness, but he also brings the terrifying bad news about the judgment of God. And yet Jesus never speaks about it sort of flippantly or gladly, you know, as though those people will get their comeuppance. It's often painful. You might remember that time where Jesus looks over Jerusalem and he foresees the destruction, just the destruction that will come on, on Jerusalem because of their rejection of him uh, in AD 70 when the Romans come in and, uh, and tear down the temple and kill thousands of people and Jesus is is just looking ahead and thinking to that and he says oh jerusalem jerusalem you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you how I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings but you were not willing you get this sense of Jesus pain over judgment and yet there is in that those words from Jesus the seed of the answer. How I long to gather you, but you were not willing. Hell is a painful reality. And it jars, I think, with our sensibilities, our Western sensibilities. But that doesn't make it any less real. You can't, from a logical point of view, you can't reject an idea because you don't like it second hell is important because it's just that is it's right that justice should be done and that justice should be seen to be done uh, we have no trouble accepting that in the most grievous cases uh, say with the nazis or with Stalin or Mao. Everyone thought that the Nuremberg trials were just, that it was right following the Second World War, that justice would be done for all those atrocities. It's it's easy for us living in a Western world where we're not really seriously uh, suffering to say, well, we should just uh, forgive other people uh, and let them move on with their lives. It's much harder for people who've lived in war-torn parts of the world to say, well, look, my family's been raped and killed uh, and my community no longer exists. Uh, let's just forget everything, anything ever happened and move on with our lives. It's not loving, in fact. It's unjust <coughs> for evil to be left undealt with. We all accept that in the serious cases we find it much harder to accept in our own lives. But all of us are guilty in one way or another of failing to love our neighbour or of making the lives of other people a misery. There's a sense in which hell is just and that justice needs to be done. Third, hell is just because it's a place far from the kindness and the goodness of God. And we as human beings have tried to con- construct a world without God. That is, the punishment fits the crime. We've tried to create a world where God doesn't exist, where God doesn't rule, where we do what we want. We've tried to create a world without God. And in a sense, the punishment of hell fits the crime. That is, it's a place where God is distant in love and mercy but present injustice and wrath. Desmond Tutu wrote a book uh, titled No Future Without Forgiveness, which is true. There is no future without forgiveness. But it's also true that there's no future without justice. God's love and God's justice aren't opposed to each other. Love demands justice, justice for the oppressed, Justice for the downtrodden. And justice for the world and for God comes either through hell or through the cross. There's only two options hell or the cross. It's at the cross that the love of God and the justice of God meet together. Jesus condemned in our place. Jesus condemned to suffer the justice of God for our sins. Jesus condemned to suffer the justice of God for our injustice and for our rejection of God. Hell is a difficult reality to deal with, but the death of Jesus on the cross assures us that God isn't indifferent to hell because God has gone to blunt God if he could send people to hell. But that can't be true because the vicious and the malevolent God would not go to such great lengths to save people, sending his own son to die on our behalf, that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him, shall not perish but have eternal life. somehow we have to trust that God is just, and that God is loving, and that God will do right. Jesus says that one day everyone who has lived will be raised to life, some to eternity with God in a new heavens and a new earth, and others to eternal condemnation. Jesus says to us, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live, even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, these are hard things to think about. And Lord, we grieve uh, those whom we have known. Uh, who have died having rejected Christ. Lord, that can be a terrible reality to deal with. And yet, Lord, we need to trust that you are a gracious and a merciful God, that you are not vindictive or unjust or unkind And we know that because you have gone to such great lengths to set us free from sin. To set us free from the penalty of sin, eternal damnation. And also to set us free from the power of sin, which still rules in our lives. Lord, we ask that you would help us to trust you that you will do right. And Lord, even though we can't see it now in great clarity, we trust that one day we will understand and that you will be glorified and honoured, not only in salvation, but also in judgment. Lord, we pray that you would enable each one of us to receive your words about Jesus and to cling on to him, the resurrection and the life, that none of us would perish, that none of us would be unwilling, but that when we die, we would just go on living because we've been united with Christ through faith in him. And Lord, help us to look forward to that great day when you put this world to right, when you raise us from the dead, and when we live in a perfect new world with you as the great centrepiece. Hasten that day, we ask, for Jesus' sake. Amen.